If Christ has borne whatever our sins deserved, and by doing so has satisfied God's justice to the full, then God cannot, in justice, punish us for sin, for that would require the full payment from Christ, and yet demand part of it from us. God does not chastise us as a means of satisfaction for sin, but for rebuke and caution, to bring us to mourn for sin committed, and to beware of the like. It must always be remembered that although Christ has borne the punishment of sin, and although God has forgiven the saints for their sins, yet God may correct his people in a fatherly way for their sin. Christ endured the great shower of wrath, the black and dismal hours of displeasure for sin. That which falls upon us is as sunshine shower, warmth with wetness, wetness with the warmth of his love to make us fruitful and humble that which the believer suffers for sin is not penal arising from vindictive justice but medicinal arising from a fatherly love it is his medicine not his punishment his chastisement not his sentence his correction not his condemnation from the true bonds of christian freedom by samuel bolton Welcome to another exciting episode of the Worldview War Room. As always, I am your host, Brenton Levi. And on this week's episode, we have my friend, Mike Pantile. Mike is an entrepreneur, a gym owner, a fitness coach, and what I think you kids these days might call a social media influencer. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I met Mike on Instagram and I just respect what he has to say because he is very honest about the struggles that he goes through as a man and as a Christian. He doesn't sugarcoat things in order to just look good in front of others in the public sphere. So I think that's just something that we should all aspire to a little bit more. Um, Just being honest about our shortcomings and our struggles because we all are fallen sinners. Um, so I think you guys will really enjoy this episode with Mike. Uh, and if you haven't already, please leave this show a five-star review, subscribe to the show and share it with someone that you think might enjoy it because that helps get the show out there. And it also just helps more people, uh, hear this content that I hope is uh, helpful and beneficial and glorifying to our creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that said, enjoy this episode with Mike. I love you guys so much, and I'll see you on the other side. Mike Pantile, thanks for joining me, brother. Thank you for having me on, Brent. I really appreciate it, bro. Yeah, so when I say your last name, I feel like I need to do one of these numbers with my hand. (laughs) (laughs) You have to like twirl your mustache or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really grateful that you uh, came on to the podcast. Um, I have very recently been introduced to your content on Instagram, and I absolutely love just the things that you have to say. So I think this is going to be a great conversation. Well, thank you very much, man. I have to just give a quick shout out to our mutual friend, Benito, Authentic Masculinity on Instagram. He's got some amazing content, and he's just an incredible man. So thank you to Benito. And again, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's just an awesome connection. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So to start off, um, how about you just give our listeners a bit of an introduction to who you are, maybe just a little bit about your background and then also your testimony and how you came to Christ. And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, well, as it stands, I'm a 29 year old man. Um, I'm a Christian, of course, a disciple of Christ. Uh, Important distinction between a Christian and a disciple. Uh, You know, it's there's a uh, there's a power in that simplicity and that distinction. Um, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm also, uh, you know, a fitness guy. I own a gym in Vancouver, British Columbia. I live in Alberta now with my family. Uh, I do a lot of online fitness coaching. I'm a personal trainer here in, in the city. I'm pretty much, I like to joke around, I'm a professional meathead. And all this all this happened after like a 120 pound weight loss that I did almost 10 years ago now. Um, I was a mechanic before. And then 
you know, I fell in love uh, with the gym and lifting weights and it, you know, growing up like an insecure guy, the gym really allowed me to sort of realize a lot of the potential that I had and really built up my self-esteem and long story short, here I am. And as far as, you know, my testimony goes, it's been of a windy road, just like it is for, for a lot of us. Um, I grew up a Roman Catholic being the Italian that I am. And around the age of like 16 or 17, after a particularly hard uh, breakup with, uh, you know, my first girlfriend, we've all been there. Um, I kind of descended into sort of the, I became an atheist. And I, I went on like a five, six year sort of binge of all that, uh, you know, I guess what you could call it the atheist doctrine, you know, all the Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, you know, Theory of Evolution, Charles Darwin, I read all of their books. And I became really entrenched in that secular world. And, and in fact, you know, even more than an atheist, I hated God. I was like an anti-theist. I really did praise the works of Christopher Hitchens. And I, I you know, only realizing now that, you know, that's just a different kind of dogma. And where that was rooted in for me was, I don't have a relationship with my earthly father. We've had always had a fallen relationship and even to this day. And, you know, it harkens back to that scene in Fight Club um, where Tyler Durden and, you know, the narrator are sitting in the, in the bathtub. And Tyler Durden says, you know, if your dad walks out on you, I'm paraphrasing, of course, you know, what does that mean for your relationship with God? How, you know, how does that make you feel about, you know, yeah, essentially how God feels about you? And I said, yeah, well, God probably hates me and I hate God. So he must not exist. And that was a, that was a period of, you know, five or six years of, you know, spiritual bondage. I like to say that word a lot or that phrase a lot. And I just drank a lot. And oftentimes, you know, my, uh, my mom and my grandfather uh, would find me passed out drunk, just wasted, you know, in pools of my own vomit. And I would write all these like just horrific notes of suicide and mental health. And I've been in and out of therapist's office on and off of SSRI, anti antidepressant drugs. And, you know, it was an interesting um, path back to the faith. I ended up dating this girl in, I think it was my early 20s or my late teens. And we went to a charismatic church and I was still an atheist. And now looking back at that church, they preached just pure heresy now looking back. But it's amazing how God God works in that way. And that it wasn't so much her or that church that made me reconnect with the faith. It was a man that I met there. Um, I was lifting weights at the time. I was like a year or two into it. And it really impacted my life positively. And I'd started to really think about, man, you know, I really do feel this godless void in my heart. And so this guy took me under his wing and just taught me everything he knew. And he was a Christian guy. And I remember uh, one day flushing uh, you know, marijuana down the toilet and just declaring that Christ was king. Still, I was just a Christian. I wasn't a disciple. I just like I just thought just by mere virtue of saying that I was a Christian that, you know, that was it. But at least it brought me back to that. And then so I, I trained, you know, under this guy. And then that relationship kind of went sideways a little bit where you know, he was trying to, and this is no, he's now, you know, a devout Christian again with his family. So shout out to coach Sean. I love the guy. I still look back at him as, is he was one of the pivotal influences on my life back in the day. So this is no judgment on him just to, by the way, but you know, I was sort of pressed to do steroids and to gain and gain and gain and gain weight. And I didn't, I didn't touch the steroids. I remember tossing the bag back to him. I said, I'm not doing this, man. I'm like two years into this. And so I stopped training at that gym. And then over the course of like a year and a half, I was a mechanic apprentice at the time. I, uh, I lost 120 pounds. And so I was working front desk at the gym that I was, I was training at at the time. And people were just knocking my door down to, for advice. And it got to the point where I was training so many people for free. I was bringing, you know, young guys, young women, young men and women to their first powerlifting meets. And I just was so fulfilled by that, that process of coaching, uh, strength coaching and nutrition. Eventually, I got fired from that. That gym was a was a blessing. Our crew just got so big, and now looking back, now that I'm a business owner, I'm like, yeah, you know, we're a bunch of meatheads just causing havoc in that gym. It was probably a good idea for business that he got rid of me, but that was that was awesome. And then on the backs of that, and it just goes to show you that you know you reap what you sow. I was dating a girl at the time, and you know I had a best friend at the time, and they kind of pulled some money together because I was broke, and we started a gym in the basement of uh, an office that my girlfriend had, uh, her dad had owned at the time, and. I'd owned my own personal training studio at the age of like 22, 23. And I went from being sort of like the broke guy to, you know, now making pretty good money for myself. But what had happened with that was um, my ego became so inflated after losing the weight and starting to become sort of like financially successful kind of early on. It was too much too fast. And then I got introduced to um, the red pill and the manosphere. And that's when things really took a turn for the worst. And now looking back on it, um, with the conviction that I possess now, I was just in a spot of just utter desolation. You know, I was, you know, hooking up with women left, right and center. My whole life was centered around, you know, 
chasing skirts essentially. And I thought this is what this is what a man's supposed to do. That's what I was taught. You know, my dad was a very unfaithful man to my to, to my mother. In fact, he had uh, his mistress at their wedding, unbeknownst to my mom, until she found out afterwards. So that was pretty uh, crazy to hear about. And in, and in sort of, and this is no judgment to my family. I remember doing this um, psychological. I was I'm sorry. I was seeing a, a psychologist, and we were kind of breaking down my family tree on my mom and my dad's side. And I realized, like, every man on both sides of my family were unfaithful. All of, I was the first one to never have cheated on a woman in my life. And I'm like, man, why am I on this path? But it wasn't enough to sort of like shake me and say, hey, listen, like God has called you to be the one to break the cycle. But I wasn't aware of that. I was still in all these like screwed up relationships. And it wasn't until that I, I met my my wife, my girlfriend, at the t- my girlfriend at the time, of course. This was like early 2020 before COVID had popped off. I called myself a Christian, but I was drinking all the time. I was still, you know, hooking up with women. And she was a devout Christian. Of course, she still is. And when I met her, it was like the first woman that I didn't have to use any of these games with. I was, I remember sitting at the, across the table um, from her at, the, at our first date. I'm like, this is, this is incredible, but this is like too much for me to handle. This is too real. You know, her conviction is too real. And she just loved me for me. And, you know, she needed a leader in the faith. And I told her I could. And I was just an utter failure. You know, I was still talking to women behind her back. There was a couple of times where yeah, I met up with an ex-girlfriend with the full intention of cheating on her. And now looking back, this was God that stopped me. But each of those times, right before I went to go do it, there was this like this this wall that went up in front of me, dude. Like this just utter like just disgust. It was like a mirror that went up. And I took a step back and I'm like, man, this is. This is horrible. But this back and forth with her happened so often that, you know, uh, Karen, my wife, sat me down. She said, you need to go and destroy your life before you realize what you have with me. And I remember this was particularly after one time we went to church. Right after we went to church, I went to go meet up with my ex-girlfriend. Like, talk about just horrible, just horrifying behavior. And then so over the period of like three or four months, mid-2020, I drank myself to sleep every night. There's a period of a couple of years. I was drinking like a half a bottle of like 50% proof whiskey every single night, smoking like a pack of cigarettes. And I was a personal trainer at the time too. And I'm still out. Come on, man. Like talk about, you know, irony. And then so this relationship crashed and burned in my face. You know, police got involved and all this stuff. It was just crazy. It's just crazy. And then I remember reaching out to her in uh, July of 2020 and just saying that there's no intention of wanting to get back with her. I said, you're the only Christian that I know. I don't know anybody else that's in the faith like you are. I just want to talk about God. That's all I want to do. And then so we met up at Spirit Pacific Park in Vancouver, British Columbia. And I remember walking walking through that park and talking about God and leaving that conversation still with no intention to get back with her. I'm like, that was a beautiful conversation, man. She, Her grace and her humility really shone through. And I, I feel like it was a major um, piece of why I was able to heal. And so... I remember a week later, uh, she reached out to me. She said, hey, I know you're trying to stop drinking. Why don't we just hang out and just have sushi and, you know, just hang out as friends and just talk about God? I said, absolutely. I'd love nothing more. And then, you know, long story short, like four or five months later, she's hovering above my bed. This is January 2021. And she's like, I'm pregnant. And that's to me when life really started. <laughs> and then from there, it was like a crazy story from then on too. But that's, I guess, long, short story long, I should say, of you know, uh, my path back to Christianity, but it wasn't until I got baptized two months ago that I really have stepped into the faith mm-hmm. and um, really understood what it's, what it means to put my sins and transgressions to death and become a new creation in Christ. And it sort of coincided with this page and all these podcasts and stuff like that. And it just goes to show you the glory of God and, and the power of God and what he does in your life and the favor that he shows you when you are intentionally trying to leave those things behind. Um, not watching pornography anymore. That that was rife throughout my whole life. I struggled with erectile dysfunction. I was on Cialis and Viagra as a young teenage man. And, you know, <laughs> oh, I want now looking back, I wonder why, you know, well, I realized why I was always intoxicated during all of those um, sexual encounters. We all know why, man. It's we're in a spiritual hole. And so after we found out that, you know, she was pregnant, I was like, okay, you know, I was scrambling. I'm like, okay, we got engaged, we got married. We bought a home and I thought I had did all the things, right? But those things are just a barrier to entry. You had Jonathan West on your podcast. I listened to that and, you know, he talks about protecting, providing, presiding, being like just a barrier to entry. 
but I realized I was like, man, I'm just going to hang my hat on this. I've done my, I've done my duty and that's it. But during that time I was still drinking way too much. I was working at my studio like 12, 13 hours a day, you know, providing. And I thought that was doing my job, but it was, my wife was isolated. She wasn't from my city. Um, we had our daughter, which was just absolutely life-changing, but I wasn't there as a husband and a father at all. I'd failed. I wasn't doing any of these things, those things that I thought I was. It was just vanity. It was just a chasing after wind, <laughs> as we know, right? As it says in the Bible. And then so I had this realization one day I woke up after just all of these horrific fights where I was quite abusive, man. I'm not going to lie. Just, just, it was horrible. I mean, she had some stuff too, but the fault is, is my own. Boys blame others. Men blame themselves. And, it, and I woke up one day after a particularly awful argument with an awful sting of a hangover between my eyes. And I said, you know what? Enough's enough. We need to sell our place. I need to leave everything behind. And this was unbeknownst to me, my initiation to manhood. Because my gym was in the same two kilometer square radius of where I grew up. That's all I knew was East Vancouver. And I never thought I was going to leave. And I had this selfish dream that I realized was mine and not my family's dream as a collective of buying a house there. I had some of the most expensive real estate in the world that I knew I was capable of it, but I had set this arbitrary goal of, I had to do it by 30. Just pure vanity, pure ego. So I woke up and I said, nah, I don't want this anymore. So we listed our home, uh, we sold it. And then June of this year, we packed up and we moved here. And now I'm sitting in, in the house that I built for my family. But I came here pivoting my, my gym business model, making 90% less income. And that was my whole identity. Growing up as a guy with, with a sort of a poor and broke mindset, this was terrifying for me. And now I felt like an utter failure. So we moved here in June. And th the first few months, like it was going to be September, we took possession of our home. And I'm like, I have three months to rebuild my income to support my family. How the heck am I going to do that? Well, by the grace of God, once we got those keys, it worked out, man. I, 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 I worked, I toiled <laughs> and, you know, here we are. And then if there was a conviction in my heart a couple of months ago, I was at church. I'm like, man, I really need to, I need to get baptized. I need to step into this, this role of husband and father fully and, dis and discipleship fully. So I, I saw a prayer card in the seat in front of me and I pulled it out. And it said, would you like to get baptized? I said, okay, cool. So I ticked it off. I put it back. And the pastor said, well, we're doing baptism next week. I'm like, there's God's providence again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so the next week I got baptized and everything changed. Of course, as anybody knows, it's, that gets baptized. The attacks were heavy, but so were the blessings. And so, so was um, the favor. And we had a tremendous loss in our family, you know, without getting too much into detail. But even through that, I praised God and I thanked God. And I woke up one day and I told my wife, I said, take a picture of me. I want to start this page. I want to talk to other guys about this stuff. I feel like I got something to say. And long story short, here we are. Short story long and very long witted. I apologize, Brent. <laughs> no. But here we are now. Now we're talking about God and glorifying his kingdom. And, and, and it's not to say that I'm perfect. God, God, no, but. I'm now fully realizing what it means and the distinction between being a disciple and being just a Christian. So <laughs> there's my long winded story, brother. <laughs> wow. No, dude, there's so, there's so much there that um, I'd like to touch on. Um, and yeah, thank you for sharing all that. Praise God for what he's been doing in your life, man. It's the fruit is evident. I'll say that. Um, thank you. So, yeah. Um, okay. So you talked a little bit earlier about like when you, got into the red pill and kind of the effect that that had on your life. I was into all that content a couple of years ago myself, and I feel like I am still um, unraveling like the damage that did to my psyche mm -hmm. and the way that I interact with women. Um, so I'd be interested to maybe hear you talk a little bit more about, I guess, what you see as the um, problems with the red pill philosophy and maybe the things that you think it gets right and how, um, it really differs from like a Christian masculinity or a biblical masculinity. So what I found helpful for it, being a man that was raised by a single mom, was that it helped dispel um, the Disneyland, I guess, quote unquote, blue pill version of love where you're the nice guy, you know, you supplicate fully to, 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 to the woman. And, but then it, eventually she just becomes dominant and domineering and 
you know, you're at her mercy and eventually she just discards of you because that's not the dynamic that God calls upon us to have in our lives between man and woman. It's God over man, man over woman, woman over child. It's not woman over man. And that's, and that's to me, what was the most helpful thing. But the problem with all that stuff and the problem with stuff like Red Pill and Andrew Tate is that guys drink the whole cup. And the way that I look at it is that here's this cup of knowledge. It's nourishing to your soul, right? This is how I look at the Red Pill. But then now you drop a speck of feces in there. Is it still nourishing to your soul or is it now tainted? It's tainted, man. So it definitely helped me realize the inherent like biological differences between men and women, you know, uh, how women uh, seek out a mate and what they find attractive and what it is to be a man and, and sort of in, in embody those traits that men or that women find attractive. But really what it is, is, is just you're emulating a sociopathic behavior. There's all this like hinging upon dark triad traits, which is just narcissistic manipulation. That's so ungodly. And it couldn't be more antithetical to the gospel and what real, real masculinity comes from Jesus, right? This is this red pill stuff. When somebody says toxic masculinity, I think immediately red pill, but also William Nolan, who's just a brilliant, brilliant man. If you haven't heard of him, you should absolutely follow him. He's just incredible. He's a believer as well. Um, it's akin to feminism for men because essentially it's never get married. Women are going to cheat on you. Don't have kids. You're going to get divorced, spin plates, you know, uh, see multiple women at once to, to exercise your options and see what you like. It's just perverse, man, because essentially at the center of it, women have power over you because you're enslaved to your desire. You're enslaved to your lust. And I found myself depressed in between. I'm like, oh, man, you know, this girl's not texting me back or I don't have a girl lined up on Friday. Like, come on, man. How juvenile is that? And then I realized that I took a step back. I'm like, this is complete and utter deception. And so I'm curious now to flip it back to you. <laughs> and so I'm curious, like what parts of this are you still trying to unravel? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. Um, I think it's just the way that I generally relate um, to women. Like I still kind of tendency to want to like manipulate and to um, like play the games, right? As opposed mm -hmm. to being like a, like a genuine, like honoring man, right? Yeah, I totally get that. I feel like there's no the one. I feel like there's multiple, like the, the right Christian woman is out there for you. Like I'm with mine, right? I don't believe there's like just this one singular person, right? Like that one-itis that the red pill, they, they, people often talk about. Um, but I, I truly feel if you're walking in your faith, but not just walking in your faith, but you're doing all of the things a man should be doing, um, you're pursuing your career, you're ambitious, you're working on your physique. You're working on your, your mental strength. Um, all of that is for the glorification of God's kingdom. If you're walking in that path, invariably, you're going to attract the right type of woman. And now looking back, I, I still, I'm completely unworthy of his favor. But looking back, I'm like, what did I do to deserve that woman at that time? Well, she was a, a, she was a learning lesson. And it was like a sobering slap in the face. But, but getting back to your point... If a man is doing all of these things, the right woman will present herself in his path because the path for a man is not to find the perfect mate, it's to get as close to walking in Christ's light, light as possible. And so I, I tell every Christian man out there, if you're doing all of these things, you're going to exude strength. You're going to exude all of those qualities that, that women want in a man. And when that woman is presented to you, um, you're not going to have to play any games because what was incredible about meeting my wife was she texted me back right away. I could text her back right away. There was none of this like song and dance of like, okay, I got to wait a couple hours. I got to wait a day. I got to, you know, be abundant minded, all this stuff, which is just, it, it's just self-deception and self-oppression, man. You know? Um, and if you're truly walking as Christ walked, then you're anything but weak. And those things aren't weakness. We're called to be meek, which is not weak. It's complete opposite. It's restraint, right? And I say this so many times, the same quote. I've said it multiple times. When they say the meek shall inherit the earth, it means those that have swords and know how to use them but keep them sheathed shall inherit the world. So you're, you're walking softly, but you carry a big stick, if you see what I'm saying, just like Jesus did.
So I hope that sheds some light on that in that particular area, man, because I still th- I see and I'm talking to a lot of guys in my DMs that are plagued by this. They're like, man, you know, this red pill stuff works. It's like, yeah, but you're attracting the wrong type of women. And that's mm-hmm. why you're in this perpetual cycle. Yeah. And it's like you're not going to build a yeah, like a healthy relationship off of games and manipulation. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's built upon a foundation of falsehoods and deceit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on top of that, too, and a lot of guys don't want to hear this. Um those of you that are dating women right now, stop having sex with them. You're betraying yourself. You're betraying them. Amen, brother. And you know yep. what? To relate this back to myself, because I'm not an authority. And this is my whole point with talking about all this stuff on my page is I always relate it back to myself in that it's still a struggle. It's still a, a walk. It's a, in perpetuity, right? I remember when, I, when me and my wife started dating again, and she's like, we need to stop having sex. And I called myself a Christian. Supposed to be a leader. I said, no, God wouldn't want us to do that. Because at the time, I thought that one sin was less than the other, and you can kind of cherry pick. No, 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 no. Actually, it's funny. To that, to that point, um, I did a collaboration post with Stoic Christian today that just got uh, uploaded on the Instagram page. And it's about this thing is that what does it may- mean to be made alive in Christ? It's putting those transgressions and sins to death, right? But also, there's a slide in there that talks about sin is sin, there's no sliding scale. There's not one being weighed against the other. It's all sin. And I realized I had fundamentally failed myself and I failed her and my leadership. And the same thing for the single guys. It is not pathetic that you haven't slept with double or triple digit women, dude. It's a good thing. I wish I could go back and change everything. I wish I could go back and change all of the hurt that I had left behind for myself and my soul and for the the women that I created soul ties with. Because that's what it is, is a soul tie. We got to be really careful about that stuff, especially those of us, you know, and this is, I don't want this to be, to sound, you know, self-aggrandizing or anything. Those of us that do get a little bit more admiration from women, we have a great responsibility to not take advantage of that. And I know not a lot of guys don't want to hear this. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who I'm helping quit porn and all this stuff. And he's like, oh, stop having sex with my girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, dude. You want to experience Christendom? <laughs> that's like, that's the first thing you got to do, man. Mm-hmm. So these conversations are awesome to have, man, because, you know, seeing people's reactions when you're so convicted in this, they can feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's huge um, because it, everything about a Christian sexual ethic flows from that, right? I mean, if you're going to be convicted about homosexuality, if you're going to be convicted about abortion, if you're going to be convicted about, you know, transgenderism, if you are not willing to reserve your own, like, you know, sexuality for marriage between a man and a woman, then none of those other issues, you have no business having any conviction about those other issues, right? Dude, you, you nailed it on the head. And this is a conversation that I have all the time. Is that like, he who is sinless cast the first stone, right? Like, I used to be super passionate about all these topics. Well, I still am. While I was engaging in this behavior... And I talk about this often just because I think homosexuality is a sin or transgenderism is a sin or abortion is an abomination. So is having premarital sex. It is all on the same playing field, man. Just because you're gay doesn't make you worse than me being the single guy that was promiscuous just because that was like right because it's man and woman, dude. It's all the same. And the, yeah. the, 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 the quicker that we acknowledge this as men, the quicker we are able to be accountable. And also that leads to a tremendous amount of mercy and grace for these people that are fallen because mm-hmm. you were once fallen and that yeah. we live to be the examples to these people. It's a, Hey, listen, being gay is, 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 is not a sin. It's engaging in the sexual immorality of the thoughts and the actions of those things, right? God's not going to condemn you. I actually had a couple of guys reach out to me and say, you know, I'm in a relationship, but I'm bisexual. and I have these sort of like homoerotic ideations. I said, brother, listen, I don't judge you. God doesn't judge you for that. Stop exercising those thoughts because just like a muscle that you stop training, it atrophies and it goes away. You know, I used to be very, very, and in a lot of ways, I'm still very lustful in nature, but I'm every day I put it to death more and more and more. And guess what? That beast in my brain is decaying. And there's sometimes where just like after an earthquake stops, there's aftershock that tries to kind of, you know, jars you off your footing a little bit, but that's part of the, the death of that beast is stop feeding it. You know, the, the, the grass grows where you water it. 
And so I think that's an important distinction to be made because there's a lot of Christians that think they're superior. And like, let us not forget that Jesus sat with sinners. Okay. It is easy to be a Christian when you're surrounded by Christians. It's a lot harder to have that same conviction when you're surrounded by people that you vehemently disagree with and for people that also probably hate you. Right? Who is the most hated? Jesus was the most hated, man. And he also said, people are going to hate you because of me. But still, we're supposed to show that mercy and that grace and be that example. Because I, I, I truly feel ever since um, I got baptized and I really am trying to walk in that light, there's a different presence and people pick up on that. Mm-hmm. People get convicted just by being around you when you're convicted. And it's a good thing because people examine themselves in their own hearts, just like I do every single day. My like a fundamental part of my prayer is God reveal to me the error of my ways and continue to show me my heart mm-hmm. and what I need to work on. And dude, every day there's like little things that just, he just drops little nuggets. He just drops in my head. I'm like, this is not me, dude. This is providence. These are, this is wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. Right. Yeah. So I, I could talk about this stuff all day, man. It gets me so fired up. <laughs> yeah, man. I love it. Praise God for that, dude. Um, so I want to touch on something you mentioned a little bit earlier about, um, your relationship with your father and being raised by a single mother, um, and how that led you in some way, like to the red pill, like because of like insecurity and stuff like that and not having like a healthy, uh, male role model because I was raised by my stepdad. I don't have any relationship at all with my biological father. I feel like that was also like seeking validation from women, like, you know, being able to sleep with lots of women, like made me feel good about myself. Um, you know, made me feel like a man or whatever. Um, so I'd like to hear you talk about maybe just a little bit about that and just how that relates to our relationship with God, the father with our, you know, how our earthly father relationship relates to our relationship with, with God. Well, this is not a concept that I got, um, from myself, somebody that I follow, Ed Milet, which I'm sure a lot of people, um, uh, follow as well is that two things number one your mess is your message and number two things happen for you not to you so i think this was meant to happen this fallen relationship with my father was meant to happen because it, i firmly believe and i said this to my mother all the time if it wasn't for her influence on me i have a lot of these toxic traits that my dad has this hyper masculine hyper domineering you know what i mean quote unquote these like stupid i hate using the words alpha because they're just it's just gross like as if men could be reduced down to just a binary, just simple, simply like that, alpha, beta. She softened the edges, so to speak. And now it's only now that I realize that because had I been raised with him and there was a period of time where I was and the stuff that I witnessed, dude, I would have probably been a gangster. I would have probably been in jail. I probably would have been a criminal. I probably would have been just, I just would have continued the cycle of broken fatherhood, tyrannical fatherhood, absentee fatherhood. But instead, what I what I look back on is, although it did lead me to the red pill, but that windy road now led me to God's kingdom, was my mother had a tremendous influence on making sure that didn't get out of control because she is one of the most nurturing and kind and beautiful souls that I know. And now looking back, how much mercy I have on her for being 21 years old, and I used to hold a lot of stuff against her, 21 years old, but then my father just abandoned her. And so I was raised by, you know, her, my grandfather, my grandfather, whom has been the most tremendous male influence on my life, bar none, other than obviously Christ, he is the pinnacle and my great grandmother. And if it, if it wasn't for that, so it's not all bad being raised by a single mom, if you're able to harness that properly and, and, and look at it with a, with a critical lens. Um, but there was also a period of my life where I knew I had to break free from that. I knew that some mothers have the wisdom to detach themselves from their sons because historically we all know like there's always been an initiation to manhood and that involves breaking away from the mother. I didn't have that because I didn't have a father and my mother, and it's no detriment to her. I'm not trying to like, you know, talk trash in her. She didn't have that wisdom to do, to, to, to do that. So she just wanted to always keep me as like a little boy. And like, again, that's not her fault. That's just like a lot of mothers do that. So it was up to me to say, okay, I'm moving out. So she, you know, she got married to my stepdad. I'm going to stay with my grandfather. Um, however, the downside to being raised by a single mom is that you kind of, you end up in this, this, this cycle of these relationships where you be, you, you know, it, it's a cycle. I see it all the time. I, I saw it all the time growing up. 
I would start the relationship as like the the dominant guy that, you know, the girl found attractive. And then by the end of it, I was just so at the mercy of her validation because of this, like being raised by a mom, I was too soft, too much of the nice guy that I was like, dude, I remember like, I'm, I am completely unashamed talking about this stuff. I would be on my knees begging some of these women. Like, please, like how pathetic now looking back, like, come on, nobody should be begging anybody except for God's forgiveness. You know what I'm saying? For him to have mercy on you. I'm like begging these women and looking back, you know how pathetic that makes a dude feel? But then you realize you're like, okay, it's because I just didn't know what it was to be a man. And also I didn't feel like I was worthy of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was worthy of like exuding masculinity. So when I found the red pill, just like many men do, they think that they found the ticket to life. I really, this was like a revelation, bro. I was losing the weight. And then I discovered Roosh V who is now a believer, praise God. Um, and I discovered the red pill and I'm like, this is, I've been lied to. And this is back in 2014, kind of around the time where it wasn't as popular. It was still a subreddit before it got banned. You know what I mean? And I, I truly believe back then it was it was more it was more positive than it is now, because a lot of the tenants were around self improvement. You know, going to the gym, and then it descended into this congregation of just like average frustrated chumps that just hate women, that don't want to look at themselves in the mirror, that want they want submissive women, but they themselves don't want to submit. So what that what that leads to is a toxic patriarchy, right? That's what the feminists talk about all the time. It's like dismantle the patriarchy. Now, like feminists, so that's a whole different topic. But true patriarchy comes from the father. That starts with the submission to the father. Because if a man is not submitted, he's a tyrant. Because he doesn't know how to harness that power, right? I heard this in a in a, a podcast with uh, William Noland and on uh, Will Spencer's Rent of Men podcast. Like at the core of masculinity is restraint, right? Just like we're talking about meekness, not weakness. At any point, Jesus could have just destroyed his enemies. He could have just done this with his hand and just, boom, he would have been fine. He also didn't take any pain relief. That's power. There's divinity in suffering, but there's also tremendous strength in restraint. And that's the only way a man can rule his household. And I've seen it play out in, in my home. And it's not to say that me and my wife still don't have occasional marital problems. I would always say, and this is where that, that the first post that kind of went crazy was the myth of the nagging wife that i made a post about. I was like, you get all these guys. It's just so pathetic. Oh, my wife, this, my wife, that it's like, dude, you're a chump, bro. Blame yourself first guy. You're coming into the home after work. You're not, you're not giving her anything. You're giving her the scraps at the end of the day. You're not treating her like your wife. You're treating her just like that. That's person that's supposed to be in servitude. Uh, to you for what reason so as soon as I started to address my anger and I started to pray okay God soften my heart soften my heart make me more patient every time I would get mad I'm like okay just be calm one more time I saw a transformation of the dynamic in my household me and my wife got closer you know I'm a better dad I'm a better husband and so that's that's the issue to circle back to the red pill stuff is guys come to this in 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 a position of desperation and then they drink the whole thing with that little speck of feces in there and everything becomes tainted. So then they just become tyrants that are just sex obsessed. <laughs> so again, short story long, I hope that addresses exactly what you said because I just see it so happening so often. And that's what was the impetus for this page in a big way. Yeah, man. Um, so y- you hit on the idea of a man being submitted to God, the father and how, uh, restraint was power. So I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit more about how that relates to um, a man's battle with lust and his sexuality and how that restraint in that area of his life uh, can be you know, used as power for the glory of God. Man, that's the, that's probably, at least for me, and I can speak to a lot of guys, the hardest part about walking with Christ. Okay. And it started with me by quitting pornography. I don't even remember the last time I watched pornography. Praise God. Also too, number two, I don't masturbate anymore. And I advocate for all men to just not do it anymore. Because what you're doing is you're just, you're just rewiring those, those, those pathways in your brain. You're still thinking about this stuff, bro. Sexual morality is in your brain too. And a lot of people that aren't, that are even Christians or even like, you know, obviously secular people are like, oh man, that just sounds like religious shaming. Hey man, <laughs> say what you want to say. I, I've experienced the transformation of God's grace by getting rid of those thoughts. But 
Tweeting there's nothing tweeting wrong with shame for doing something wrong. Well, but dude, that's that's the, that's what I mean, and that's the point, bro. Is like we think that Jesus was weak, like this turn the other cheek stuff. People have the completely wrong impression of Jesus. There is something called righteous anger, man. There's righteous conviction, dude, and I'm trying to like embody that in my posts. Like, hey, listen, we are to be called out. It's not like, hey, man, you know, just kind of stop doing that stuff. It's like, no, stop doing that stuff. You're betraying yourself. You're betraying your wife. Stop being a loser. <laughs> you know what I mean? It comes from love. And so when I quit porn, I quit masturbation because I wanted to give all of my sexuality to my wife because that's that's what she deserves. That's what God designed us to, to do and to be. The final frontier is your eyes, right? Because sexual immorality is even in the lust of the eyes. And what a little boy thing to do, but to like stare at a woman because she's got nice curvature, right? And listen, I made a post about women too. Women are culpable in this as well. Stop dressing like that. You're causing yourself to sin and you're causing other men to sin. But again, the responsibility is on us. Flee from it, just like Joseph did. He didn't just like casually, hey, you know, it's okay. No, he he ran away. <laughs> he ran away from it. And that's why I use that picture. That's the hardest thing because that is to be reserved for your wife. Sexuality isn't to be cheapened. And to look at a woman with, with lustful eyes, dude, you, you've already committed adultery in your mind and your soul. It says that in scripture. I don't care what, what anybody wants to say about biology. What are we, animals? Are we nothing more than, than beings that are just at the mercy of our carnal like, you know, proclivities, surely we're better than that, right? And so that has been, and I, dude, I remember, dude, it was literally five days ago I had this conversation with my wife. So I'm not trying to pretend like I, I know what I'm talking about. I still fail in this regard so much because I didn't realize how um, obsessed I was with the admiration of women when I'm at the gym and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, they're looking at me or I'm looking at them. It's just all vanity, bro. I sat my wife down after she introduced me to this podcast with these, this married couple, they've been together for 50 years. And so the husband sat his wife down and said, I got lustful eyes. I was like, oh man, I've been avoiding that conversation with my wife. I sat her down. I said, I have this issue. So I I'm not attracted to you, but this is the final cry of this, this lustful beast that exists in my heart. And of course she was taken aback like any woman would be. But her grace, her love for God, her, her, her nurturing kindness saw through that. And she's like, man, this, this man really wants to honor me. And she took it in stride. And I've witnessed a, a closer intimacy in, in our life that is above and beyond anything I could possibly describe or imagine. But at the same time, too, this world is so fallen. Once you stop looking and ogling, I don't know if it's the enemy or these people, these women detect it. They're always just trying to be in your periphery. They're always just trying to drag you back. And I think the premarital sex piece and the lust of the eyes and mind piece are fundamentally what most men struggle with. I, I would say probably 99% of us struggle with. And that is, if you can conquer your eyes, you can conquer anything. I firmly believe that, especially in this world where a 10-year-old boy within 10 seconds can have access to HD hardcore pornography we're dealing with stuff that has no precedent and it's dangerous um yeah man i got a lot of stuff to say about about that particular thing but maybe i'll just leave it there <laughs> i've noticed in my life like it became so habitual um that even after knowing christ even after being convicted bringing my lust to him and, and like laying it at the foot of the cross like it's still like if I see a gorgeous woman walking around, it's still like I have to like consciously divert my attention and be like, I'm not going to, you know, stare at her and like allow myself to have um, lustful thoughts. Right. Like it's it's a fight. Thank God that he you know, has been sanctifying me and renewing my mind. And it's been getting easier in the past year of knowing Christ. It, it has been a battle for sure. It's a huge battle. And actually, just before this, this, this conversation, I was listening to the podcast, not only with Jonathan West, but with uh, coach Anthony Deal. Um, that, dude's, that dude's just awesome. Both of those guys are awesome. But he was saying, and I just thought they was so awesome, he's not training female bodybuilders anymore. I'm like, hey, man, there's a, there's a greater point to be derived from that. And that is stop putting yourself in positions where you can lust. Just like a drug addict, stop putting yourself in positions where you could relapse. 
and I'm starting to think about this more. I'm like, I have a beautiful gym downstairs. I'm like, I work at, I work as a contractor out of a gym, you know, for, you know, doing my personal training, but I'm like, should I try to remove myself from the situation where this, these things are even around me? And it's not avoidance. It's just being practical and pragmatic about my life. If you're an alcoholic, like stop going to parties, man. Stop hanging out with your alcoholic friends. Stop putting yourself in situations where that temptation is there. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a point where you do have to be exposed to those things to sort of exercise those muscles. But like, why are you constantly putting yourself there? You know, it's not that I'm tempted to cheat. Like there's not, no, no chance I would ever do that, but I'm tempted to look. And that's enough motivation for me to reevaluate and say, maybe there needs to be a change here. And I don't think a lot of guys look at themselves like that. They just, you know, I struggle with this. It's like, well, dude, you keep putting yourself in those positions, man. Of course you struggle with that. So I thought that point of his was just was was super powerful. Yeah, and it gets back to that idea of just restraint and uh, how there is power in that, and we're like restraining ourselves and our desires and our flesh according to uh, God's law, allowing the Holy Spirit to to make us more like Christ in that way. Like that's really what that restraint does for us, right? It makes us more Christ-like, and it's I mean it is essentially what it is to be a man is to be able to have that discipline over ourselves, right? That's what it comes down to is discipline. It's discipline to say you can control your eyes. They're a muscle just like your biceps, dude. Just like when you do your bicep curls, you just got to exercise that like anti-lust muscle. And it's so lost on this in this age because again, we're dealing with stuff with no precedent, right? We got we got Uber Eats, we got social media, we've got pornography. So we have access to stuff that completely destroys our reward system. And we have to realize that just like in the Bible, it calls us to fast. We need to fast in this way, you know, not just with food because it's powerful to do that with food as well, but it's it, it, to fast in all these things. And I certainly know that um, I need to fast from social media more because especially with all of this, everybody's sharing it. It's like a fever pitch, all this stuff going on, all these like, you know, these dopamine hits, I get addicted to it, man. Like for sure. We all do, man. We all got to fast more. I, you know, I quit drinking whiskey altogether, but on Fridays and Saturdays, I still have some wine. I'm like, I probably should, I need to address that too. Not only that, I quit uh, altogether vaping THC. Marijuana has been part of my life, like most of my life, most of my life. Right. And so last week I'm like, what a juvenile activity. No judgment to anybody that's struggling with this because I struggled with this my whole life, but I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm supposed to be a disciple of Christ and I'm here getting high. Come on, man. Stop that, dude. You're out of your mind. And you know what? I'm going to call out every guy out there that says, I need it for sleep. I need it for that. You're lying to yourself, bro. You're just justifying addiction. That's all it is. You're just justifying your own addiction. You can't control something. That's it. And you know, in the last week, I've been waking up in sweats. Like the withdrawal is heavy. But now being the follower that I am, there's a divinity in that suffering and that lack of sleep and that like waking up in sweats. You're supposed to experience that, man. It makes you better. So that gives me an opportunity. I'll wake up in the middle of the night sweating. And my wife was like, oh, you know, are you okay? I'm like, I'm good. And I'll just pray. And that suffering brings me closer to God. And so this is why also too, I recommend every man and woman, but especially men to connect with what it means to be a man is get yourself in the gym, dude. I made a post about this in my story today. It connects me closer to God because when I'm under the bar, when I have that bar in my hands, I'm present. I'm in the moment. Those of us where... Those of us that are ambitious type A guys are always looking to tomorrow, but how about today? How about this moment? The present is, is something that we should be grateful for because that's the gift that God has given us is today, our health right now. So in that, in that moment, it's like a void of just being present in God's, um, God's company and his presence. And also it gives me a, point, uh, 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 a way to pray and meditate in a completely different way that also connects me to the toil of being a man, right? Like that's Adam's toil was to plow the fields for the rest of his life, right? For women, it was childbirth and child rearing. For us, it's just work until we're dead. And so that connects me to that aspect of masculinity too. And also too, we're called to subdue the earth, right? Right. We're not just called to be, you know, strong and courageous, just of mind. That means of, of, of physicality as well. And so there's an argument to be made about a man being really strong and getting closer to God in that. It's not to be idolatrous over the weight on the bar because I have been. I've attained high levels of strength and physique where it's become vain, where if I don't hit a certain number on a certain day, it destroys me. I'm like, well, that's idolatrous. 
inherently idolatrous because our flesh is imperfect. There's a lot of variability. And in those moments, we need to be connecting to God because if something like that has such an impact on us, then we're leaning too much on our own understanding again. We're trying to hoist ourselves up and put us and our goals at the center of our life where it should be Christ. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. And so you touched a little bit on suffering there. And that reminds me of one of your posts um, that I really liked um, where you talked about heartbreak and how a man can utilize heartbreak, um, you know, as I guess like a catalyst for uh, growth in their life and for, you know, just growing in Christ. So um, you mind talking about that a little bit more? Yeah, man. So I think every man that experiences heartbreak is brought to like a crossroads where it's an opportunity to just continue what you've always done in perpetuity and just keep repeating it. Or it gives you an opportunity to, because with heartbreak, I think a lot of things come to the surface. Like when that, when a woman breaks up with you, you start thinking, you start reflecting that self-reflection. So you can either be practical and pragmatic with that self-reflection and say, I'm going to improve upon these things, or I'm just going to dwell upon these things and become a victim and self-pity. And I think there's no more disgusting trait than to victimize yourself when God's given you the beauty and the gift of life and you're victimizing yourself, especially if you're in the West. I don't care about what's going on with the whole, whatever the elite agenda is. I don't care. COVID you're living in a free country. You're living in a free place. And instead of making the choice to, and you have the choice because many people on this planet don't have the choice. Let's face it. There's some very oppressed countries out there. And instead you're choosing to be the victim and just like sulk. This is what I mean. So there's a lot of content out there about, um, you know, heartbreak and being the underdog and, you know, lowly. It's just like, dude, stop that, man. Stop idolizing you being downtrodden. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be powerful. And so I think heartbreak has always presented that. And, And, you know, looking back at all the heartbreak that I've experienced, I've always emerged on the other side better. There's a book that I love and I recommend to everybody. It's called Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. And the whole concept of the book and the devil isn't like, you know, a guy with horns. It's, it represents all the stuff that causes a man to drift, you know, pornography, you know, essentially ripping you off track. But with suffering, there's this concept of the book of meeting your other self. And so to me, that's godly is like, he wants you to meet your ascended self, but in order to get there, there's gotta be, there's gotta be suffering, Right. For man can't remake himself without suffering because he's both marble and sculptor, right? And so every man is presented with the crossroads. And I feel like too many guys go down the path of sulking and self-pity until they find another woman to just latch onto. And it just continues to happen. Where I'm just grateful to God that he's given me the wisdom, even in my fallen state, to emerge on the other side of that, a greater man, and meeting my other self. Because it's with suffering, me losing the weight, I emerge this guy, holy crap, I realize my potential. And let's say getting baptized, oh my God, I'm a higher version of what God's called me to do. In moving here and putting myself last, I've met a version of myself I didn't think was possible. And so when guys ask, how do I build confidence? Well, make promises to yourself and keep them. That is how you get closer to what God has called you to be. Is don't hit the snooze button in the morning. Just something small like that. Like I don't hit the snooze button. I'm going to look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, cool, man. You did that for yourself. You should feel confident about that, right? It's 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 way more internal than it is looking for something outside of yourself, like a certain weight on the bar or, you know, a certain woman. It's like choose the path of most resistance, <laughs> like keeping my gym open when <laughs> um, the powers that be wanted to shut me down. I was like, nah, I'm going to face you head on. I'm keeping it open. And whatever happens from this, whether it's destruction or glory, I'm going to let it happen. And lo and behold... I met my other self. It's just we become so castrated by um, hollow flesh desires that we do not know what it means to defer gratification. And I think that also happens in heartbreak where we just man just end up back on Tinder and back on the hamster wheel of suffering, but the wrong kind of suffering. Yeah. And I think a lot of you know men, but even just people in general can encounter suffering and they allow themselves to be defeated by it as opposed to giving it over to God and understanding that God works all things for good for those who love him. Right. And it's like, we can use any sort of, you know, suffering or setback in our lives 
to get closer to him and to grow stronger in him as opposed to trying to rely on ourselves because that's when we're going to fail again because we're human. And if we're relying on ourselves, we fail again and then we just get discouraged and, you know, we want to give up. But when we give it up to Christ, I think that's really where that strength to persevere can come from. Absolutely. And, and he gives you the resolve to handle the stormy weather because in that walk with Christ, there's going to be stormy weather. It's not all going to be glo- glory, dude. Like, for example, two days ago, I mean, this is just the example of the glory part, but um, Brendan from Masculine Revival went public with this declaration of his love for Christ. And I just, and, and two days earlier, it's so funny how this works. I was at church and always when I'm in worship, I cry. Every time, unashamed, I cry, hands in the air, tears are streaming down my face. There was a revival happening in his name. I'm like, absolutely. But the revival isn't on earth. It's within the heart of man. And then two days later to see that, I was so moved. I went outside, bro, and I was like listening to Christian Christian music. And I was walking outside. And I'm like, I was moved to tears. I literally put my hands in the air. There was like, I get chills thinking about it. This feeling of happiness and glory and contentment that... I wish I could just like put in a bottle that I I can't describe as, as a man that was suicidal for so many years, as a man that was so depressed and so entrenched in addiction and promiscuity and just bondage. That I was like, how, you know, I, I almost moved to tears talking about it. How am I experiencing this, this, this utter glory and happiness? It was just, it was, and I can still, I can still feel a sense of it. But, and then a day later, it's like, it's gone. You're like, but that's the walk. That's the walk because with the glory comes the suffering and you can't have the glory without the suffering. The suffering begets the glory (laughs) and that's how we grow. You know, people think it's just like this rosy walk. Like, you know, one of my brothers said, you know, this faith walk ain't no cakewalk and that is absolutely true. But when you can see the other side of that suffering, you experience the full breadth of the glory of God, man. It's just the most impeccable, beautiful thing. And it's in that when I when I describe what people, how do you become a Christian? Well, it's become it's becoming a disciple. And what does that mean to become a disciple? It's just to stop your sin. You're going to sin anyways. You're always going to ask for forgiveness. But it's like put these things to death, bro. There's there's a sense of contentment and happiness and glory and fulfillment on the other side of that that you have no idea. And I just want you to get there, man, because I'm experiencing this because I this used to elude me. I used to think these people were crazy. I'm like. How are these people so on fire for Jesus? How are they so on fire for God? This makes no sense because I was simply just a Christian. I wasn't a disciple. You know, I'm getting, I'm sweating just talking about this right now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, man. And, um, it is all for his glory. It's like when, when he allows us to suffer, it's for his glory in that we will rely on him in the suffering. And when he blesses us, it's for his glory and that we will praise him for the blessings. Like yes. when, when we recognize that like our lives are meant for the glory of God, like it just, it, I mean, everything makes more sense, right? Dude. Yes, it absolutely does. And not only that, because I'll tell you, man, I've always been very insecure about talking about God because I was like, man, I don't know anything, man. I'm like a theologian. But as you start this walk, God just gives you the wisdom. He just gives it to you. I was reading through the wisdom text, you know, Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And oh my gosh, is that ever true? It is only then that you get to experience that. And the wisdom that he just gives you. Like the even this podcast, man, I was nervous as heck. So what am I, what am I gonna say? You know, and here I am, like completely calm in serenity and in, you know, in, in his presence. And He's giving me the words. This is, these are not words of my own. He's, he's giving me the words. It's just like he's just speaking right through me. And now I understand what that means, you know? Yeah. Amen, brother. Well, we're coming up on the end, but I do have one more thing I want to ask you. The point of this podcast is to create Christian culture. And I want to know what you would say are some things that men in particular can do in their lives to just create a Christian culture in their own lives and their own families and in just the culture at large? Well, to solve the issues of the world, it starts in your own household, first and foremost. And before, even more than that, on a more micro level, it starts in your heart. So pray for forgiveness, repent, put to death your transgressions, but that, that requires a renewal every day. You need to do that every single day. You need to ask God for the wisdom to examine your heart and to reveal your own nature to yourself. And then you need to continually work to put those things to death. And it's a lifelong mission. And in that, 
change of heart, you change your household, and then you change the community and culture at large, right? So when I say there's a revival happening in his name, it's happening in the heart of man. And that's where it starts. Because if you can conquer that, you can conquer your home. At large, Christendom is going to come to earth. It just requires all of us to do this first. Our hearts, our home, then our communities. And then that's how the gospel proliferates in the world. Beautiful, brother. So where do you want to send people? Uh, your Instagram page, any other uh, things you have going on? Yeah, so right now my it's my Instagram page, Mike Pantile. That's where all of my you know uh, manhood, fatherhood, uh, Christianity stuff, all my content is there. I do have uh, my fitness page. It's Forza Barbell, F-O-R-Z-A Barbell on uh, Instagram. I'm not as active there anymore because I'm, you know, I'm passionate for fitness. I'm a super busy guy, praise God. But my passion really is about writing about this stuff and, and talking to men and women behind the scenes. And who knows what God has called me, called on me to do, but that's where you can find me, Mike Pantile or Forza Barbell, both on Instagram. All right. Awesome, man. Thank you for joining me, Mike. It's been awesome. And uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. Uh, Brent, God bless you, man. Love you. And thank you so much for having me on, man. That's it for this week's episode of the Worldview War Room. Thank you so much for listening. I don't really have much else to say, so I'll see you back here next week. And until then, go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ.